On this episode, we talk about distributed learning at Fab Academy, the monoculture of money, and reinventing yourself. Hello, gents and ladies, and welcome to Experiment Q podcast. I'm Tudor, your host, which means it's my job to interview world-class researchers, educators, entrepreneurs, and creatives who design amazing learning experiences all over the world. For everyone out there interested in education, this show is for you. Our guest for episode 10 of Experiment Q podcast is Thomas Diaz, Venezuela-born urbanist specialized in digital fabrication and its implications in the future of cities. He's the director of Fab Lab Barcelona at the Institute of Advanced Architecture of Catalonia, the Fab Academy Global Coordinator and the European Project Manager of Fab Foundation. Thomas has been appointed by The Guardian and Nesta as one of the top 10 digital social innovators to watch in 2013 and has been awarded by the Catalan ICT Association as the Entrepreneur of the Year in 2014-2015. His research interests relate to the use of digital fabrication tools to transform the reality and how the use of new technologies can change the way people consume, produce, and relate to each other in cities. I first quote-unquote met Thomas in 2015, and I say quote-unquote because we only interacted online while I was developing a software project in the Netherlands. Now, I was happy to finally have a conversation in person, but this time focused on education. In this episode, we tackle the, the state of learning within Fab Labs, the future of cities, and designing your own life experiences. Without further ado, please enjoy episode 10, recorded on March 2nd, 2018, in Barcelona. Thomas, thank you for being on uh, episode 10 of Experiment Q podcast. And as it's a podcast focused on the science of learning, we figured we'd do a proper experiment setup with a lot of noise in the background. It's a fab lab, <laughs> so it should, should it's supposed right. to be like that. Before we go into how learning happens at the fab lab and yeah. what the fab academy is, we give people um, a bit of the background story of who Thomas Diaz is and what's the, the origin story. Okay. So um, this segment is very quick. Try to answer as as short as possible. Yeah. Um, to give a bit of the feeling of uh, why you're doing this and what are kind of the values and the stories behind all this stuff that we'll uncover in the in the next few minutes. It's, so it's first, a lot of work of many people. It's not only me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we can mention the the people involved. First, what are your origins? I am from Venezuela. Yeah. Uh, I was born and raised in, in Venezuela. I was born in Caracas, but raised in a smaller city. Lived in Caracas for some time, and then I've been living here for the last 11 years uh, nice. in Barcelona. Uh, why urbanism and why fab labs? Uh, I, I think that you know part of my life uh, is based on decisions that I made very quickly. I didn't plan them. So I suddenly found myself in university uh, when I, I was supposed to study engineering, and then I found urbanism. And it was a quick decision to, to decide, okay, I go for this. It was like a gut feeling. I so I went for it, and I, when, you know, the first day I'm sitting in the, in the, they're explaining what is really urbanism. I said, this is my thing. And, cool. it have, and then with Fab Labs happened more or less the same. I was supposed to do a, an internship here 
at the Institute uh, 11 years ago, was editing a book about Taipei. And I found the FabLab concept in a random meeting. And then I say, OK, this is my thing. Then I combine both of them, and that's more or less FabCity. Nice. <laughs> what are you most passionate about at the moment? Uh, I don't know. I've many things. Uh, I'm fascinated. I mean, I keep being fascinated about uh, fab labs and cities. I think that that hasn't changed. I keep the same passion. Mm. I love uh, surfing. Uh, I love escaping cool. to tropical weathers. Uh, <laughs> I love music. Uh, and uh, one of the things that you know keeps me busy is trying to figure out how, or, or you know, I have the gut feeling again that. Technologies, like a distributed ledger technologies uh, can help to orchestrate better uh, a phenomena like the FabLab network. So that keeps yeah. me, you know, with passion on trying to find ways of making it happen. Cool. What, what did you learn in 2018, this year, that had a wow effect on you? It's only like a, yeah, no, but two still, months of a year. Still, uh, like, did you have any aha moment and you thought like, wow, that's interesting? Uh, yeah, well, I just had yesterday a wow moment in Vienna. Uh, I was in a meeting of a very important organization, which I'm not going to mention the name. But um, uh, my wow moment was like uh, um, the see other people value your work and engage their efforts to help you to build your vision. That's something that uh, I didn't it didn't happen to me, at, you know, at that level. Uh, and it was like, a, wow, I was sitting in a meeting and then people were talking about Fab Labs and Fab Cities without me having to explain it. And it were, I'm talking about like a people with a kind of, a, you know, relevant backgrounds and, and also relevant positions in a big I organization. See. That was a wild moment. So you would call it a success Not yet. Experience. I mean, yeah, it was a, that, that's more like a, oh, okay, like, like, a, like a really um, rewarding moment I somehow. See. It's promising. Nothing has happened yet, so mm. I will see. Continue the sentence. When I fail, I... I learn. Okay. I smile. Good. I think and I'm, I wait and, and learn to be patient. Yeah. Learning is good. What is success to you? Uh, success... I don't know. It's a feeling, I guess. Okay. It's a feeling that it's, it can come from a very insignificant things. It can come from very important things that maybe are you know important mm. for a lot of people, but for you it's like okay, and then you are succeeding. And then some other times you are <laughs> very happy for something that is very relevant for people. So mm. I think that that's the feeling that make gives you those moments are, are can be called success. I see. Now one that is close to your heart, the future of city is. Cities. It's challenging. <laughs> it's very challenging. I mean, this is, uh, it's not easy. Mm. And, you know, and the urban planning schools, they're trying to, they try to teach you the methods in which you can plan and, you know, and rethink the cities. And you think that it's, you know, I'm going to make this big strategic plan and implement it and the city yeah. is going to be better. It's, yeah. it's far more complicated. Also, it's not, uh, you know, it's something that is not happening from one day to another. It's uh, probably the most complex system that the, we human beings have created. So mm. I think they're challenging. Cities are really challenging. All right, we'll dive a bit more in it in connection to humans and skills and okay. uh, what is the future in this regard. And the last question in this short segment is, if your life, uh, if your life story was a song, what kind of music 
would that be? I don't know. It's hard to say. I like, uh, I love soundtrack, soundtracks, no? Okay. I've been passionate about uh, Hans Zimmer soundtracks yeah. or Johan Johansson, who died, unfortunately, recently. Okay. Uh, but I like, uh, you, know, me, you know, this, the idea kind of... of uh, epic, classic music. Epic, classic, but also it may, makes you somehow down and, mm. you know, go back to your feelings, but then it also leaves you. So I think that life is, life is something like that, no? It's... Uh, it's probably the if you put music, it's a soundtrack. <laughs> of course, it's the soundtrack yep. of your life. Yep. Uh, although I like uh, a lot of classics, uh, you know, from Pink Floyd to Radiohead, uh, cool. um, to electronic and music. And on, on and this know. musical note, let's dive into uh, what Fab Labs and Fab Academy is in terms of learning and and the people around it. We are at uh, Fab Fab Lab Barcelona, which is uh, probably one of the most active and advanced. Uh, spaces in terms of equipment, but also the, the, the type of projects that are here. Um, and also you have Fab Academy, which I'm very curious about, and we're going to touch on that. But first, for folks that are uh, watching and also listening, because it's a podcast and a, a show on YouTube, um, can you take us through a bit of the story of Fab Labs? What is this concept and how it all started? Well, uh, Fab, you would be surprised on how not advanced uh, we can be also. Eh? <laughs> but it, it requires to be here for a few days in order to discover the, those things. But yeah, we are one of the oldest Fab Labs in the network, um, um, which uh, started 10 years ago, no? Fab Lab Barcelona. And, um, you know, the story not only of Fab Lab Barcelona, but of Fab Labs is full of kind of coincidences and kind of, uh, uh, I would say, Basically, events, meetings, people that, by one reason or the other, have, you know, managed to meet at the same time, at the same time, and plan something amazing uh, as it is now the FabLab Network. So, FabLab started uh, uh, out of um, a research, uh, actually not a research project, but an outreach project yeah. of the National Science Foundation and the Center for Bits and Atoms in the United States. Yeah. Um, and thanks to that collaboration promoted by Mel King and Neil Gershenfeld, the first Fab Lab appeared in the South End Technology Center in Boston. Okay. South End uh, is a, you know, it's a, it's part of a, the city of Boston where you know there were problems of segregation in the past and and, and, and racial, I would say segregation, uh, but that led to social segregation as well. Mel okay. King uh, was a social leader, or is it is Mel King mm. is, is 90 years old, uh, 90 something. And he still organized every Sunday in his house a brunch nice. where he invites people. But he was the one that really, um, actually, he was the first African-American professor at MIT. Mm. Um, and he was the one that, uh, together with Neil, pitched to the National Science Foundation the need to establish um, a program that will bring to kids in disadvantage uh, the knowledge on technology, around technology, in order for them to find their own way. Okay. okay? Uh, to learn skills, to you know, to invent, to, to promote invention, to develop science in order to fight poverty and disadvantages. Uh, what happened is, um, out of this connection in the South End Technology Center and out of many travels of Neil around the world, uh, you know, kind of meetings and this kind of coincidences as I was mentioning before led to the establishment of Fab Labs in Ghana in Africa, okay. in the uh, Arctic Circle in Norway, with <laughs> Hakon Carlsen Jr., uh, or uh, with the Professor Kalbach in, uh, in, in a big young ashram in India. No? Mm. Um, so the first Fab Labs started in uh, remote areas with the idea of 
providing the access to tools and in order to have like a self-sustaining communities, no? in order mm. of, uh, for them not, to go to the, not, not having to go to the city in order to solve a local problem. Yeah. But basically, there they were things that started to happen that started to put Fab Labs in cities, no? in South Africa, uh, mm. in the Netherlands, here in Spain, in Costa Rica. So you start to see like at this first uh, group of Fab Labs, around 10 Fab Labs developed in the first five years of the network, basically started to also to self-replicate themselves and, 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 yeah. and, and inspire and somehow, um, um, I don't know, it help people to take decisions in order to set up Fab Labs yeah. with the support of public sector, private sector, and so on. So uh, as per today, you know, we, we, 10 years ago, there were like a 10 Fab Labs in the world. Yeah. Right now, we have around 1,200 and counting. Yeah. Um, so, so the... The main place to discover all the all the Fab Labs is fablabs.io. Exactly, it's, it's okay. a platform that we developed here in Barcelona, I see. and uh, and and that's um, that's something that we didn't plan. So, and Neil usually usually says that. I mean, Fab Labs are they were not planned. It's not like a, the great idea at MIT that you know it was supposed to become a global network of people, um, but it it becomes it became that, and now it's a community. Mm. Uh, it's not just machines. It's, you know, there are spaces, but without the people, there are nothing. And without the collaboration between these people, there are even less. No. Yeah. So I think that that's uh, more or less in the, the long story short uh, how Fab Labs started. Uh, but basically, they were a, an accident, a beautiful accident. Yeah. Now, in in the education community, it's very popular to speak about STEAM and uh, mm -hmm. also learning by doing and so on and uh, Fab Labs um, also uh, are used along makerspaces and hackerspaces, which some people agree are the same thing. Some people say they are very different. Yeah. Uh, what is the difference for you if there is any, and, and how yeah, do we think, make think, a distinction? I think in spirit, they are the same. Yeah. Uh, in, uh, in the form, in the, in the, in the, you know, the organization-wise, they are different, right? Mm. Um, I would say... You know, I think the sharing principles are in the three kind of models: the openness, the, multi, the you know, the cross-disciplinarity, um, the globalism. You know, yeah. They're very global movements. Uh, I think they share all those values. So you you would be surprised in the amount you know, which I think we share more values than we don't. Mm -hmm. uh, but then the way Fab Labs are have been organized, which some people say they are elitist or they are you know limited to academia or to academic or to Exclusive is based basically on the idea of having a curated uh, network okay. uh, in which you basically and it's not in, and it's not just because to keep some high standards and leave people behind. It's actually behind the idea of having a common inventory is the idea of enabling distributed design and distributed manufacturing. So basically, okay. by having the same electronic equipment in Lima as in Barcelona allows me to design something here and send the files to Lima. Uh, and they will use the same inventory of electronic parts or, you know, the designs is easier now because you can find nowadays 3D printers anywhere or laser cutters yeah. and CNC machines. But then behind that, there is also, once you have a common infrastructure, then you can set up programs uh, on top and projects on top of that infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the FAO Academy, for instance, which or the Academy, the Academy of almost anything, it's yeah. part of that, right? Without having a common infrastructure, then the FAB Academy wouldn't be possible. And one of the challenges of the FAB Academy, usually, 
is for labs to find out the right inventory to supply their students with the mm -hmm. tools that they need to have in order to accomplish each one of their assignments, right? So yeah. there is an explanation on why you have machines. It's not just having expensive machines sitting there. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's about you know, having a common inventory that allows us to set up educational programs, projects, and, and other type of activities that make sense. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, a common of, uh, language. Of it's a common language. Then, you know, I would say like our makerspaces are less curated. Probably a makerspace yeah, could yeah. be anything. Um, and they, they, they are mixed now. You know, companies have makerspaces and, and they yeah, love to yeah. call the maker. Some, everything is maker now, no? Yeah, so you yeah. have the big corporates uh, talking about the maker movement and how they have a maker hub, an innovation hub with a makerspace. They're everywhere, right? So it's kind yeah. of a, you know, it's a little, I'm going to say it's very unpolite what I was, was about to say, <laughs> but I mean, you can criticize that as well, but that, that's only the form, but in the spirit, yeah. it's the same values. And then the hacker spaces, I would say they come more, more from the anarchism, right? Like a techno-anarchism, which the is kind of a... in Berlin. Absolutely. So, <laughs> and they are like, a, you know, uh, again, in spirits, uh, you will find people that has been in hackerspaces in Fab Labs and the other way around, but... You know, yeah. I, I think that even uh, the hackerspace is so, I, I wouldn't say any form of organization, of course, because they're <laughs> hackerspaces. Uh, but what is interesting from hackerspaces is to learn how this, that non-organizational form has led to a, to a self-organizing form, which is interesting in some cases, no? like a community-led yeah. yeah. spaces. That's something in which I would say that probably few fab labs have mm. exploded a lot, and, and, but there are a few. Yeah. But hackerspaces are, are well known about that. No? So I would say in, in depth, in values, in ethos, in philosophy, they are the same. In the, how they are implemented, how they are deployed, how they work in the everyday um, cycle, they, are, they can be quite different, even though they can be quite similar yeah. as well. So you mentioned it's, it's a curated community. Yeah. So I assume with you know, a thousand plus spaces, yeah. there is a proper guide or a set of rules how to build one. So how does a person start a Fab Lab today? Uh, well, I would say that it's, even if it sounds that easy, it's not. And I would say that <laughs> different labs have different processes. Okay. Right? Um, you know, of course, there is an inventory that is online. So you basically can buy the machines, the inventory, the consumables, everything for less than 100K. Uh, dollars. Okay. Uh, uh, you need a space, uh, of course, where you want to set up uh, your machines and your equipment. Then they need to be compliant with the security standards, uh, etc., etc., etc. So you have to go through that boring part, which is all the bureaucracy behind setting up a space. It changes in every city. Uh, and then, uh, of course, you need the human capital. No? Yeah. So it's going, who's going to be the leadership of that Fab Lab? A lot of Fab Labs have failed because they go for a shiny space oh, with a very expensive machines and they don't have the people that activate the Fab Lab and therefore uh, start to create a community, right? So w if we had to think about the, the absolute minimum in terms of capital and in terms of people yeah um what is the minimum that you need to investment yeah so uh, again, financial it, and human it, it changes no i would say like uh um again the the machines probably their price you can you can set up a, a mini lab with less yeah. than 50k okay basically you can start with two people that they can take uh, online lessons in the or with the free lessons of the fab academy so okay. they don't need to attend to the fab academy but they can access to the content and the videos online 
Uh, and then they know if they, you know, if you follow every week of FAO Academy, you will realize that there is a connection with the inventory, right? Yeah, so you yeah. learn through the FAO Academy to, you know, to use all those things that are in the inventory. So I would say that uh, people can do that. And then you want to make sure, I would say, to pay your, your, your staff for at least two years, right? And I would say okay. minimum two people, uh, ideally minimum th three or four, you know, uh, um, that is going to, you know, you have to take care of many things. At the beginning, it's, I, in this lab, I had the, uh, in, in the Fabla Barcelona, uh, of course, he started with investment from IAAC. Okay. Um, I, I was relying on an administrative uh, infrastructure. Uh, we had the, uh, the space. But then operationally... How many years was that? That was 11 years ago. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then we started uh, with three people. But uh, after one year, uh, Shane and Victor left. No? Okay. I learned a lot from them. But then I stayed by myself. And then it uh, had to create a new team. No? So more people came in every year. Then we had interns. Then the Fab Lab, uh, in some point, like five years ago, started to uh, uh, stop being dependent completely of the institute for its funding. I and see. nowadays, we actually give revenue. We have revenue, and we provide revenue back to the institute, nice. who at the same time reinvest that revenue into other projects like the Green Fab Lab, for instance. Nice. Cool. Now, there are a lot of fab and then... There, there is a project. So Fab uh, Lab, Fab Academy, Fab City. We'll get to the city point. There are a lot of labs too. Yeah, okay, everything is a lab today. Okay, yeah. so within the <laughs> Fab Lab, there, there are also more labs, like right textile. It's, it's a textile, the bio lab. The yeah. Okay, so just to to make a distinction for now between two of them. So okay. um, when people think of the Fab Lab naturally it's a space for learning because you have usually the community yeah. the workshops the uh, the machines and so on so the question is you know why create a fab academy yeah and and what exactly is the fab academy yeah so i mean as i was saying you know, fab labs are you mean you need, you need a space you need a machine um <laughs> or the, uh, the machines uh the consumables and the people right the human capital yeah um i think one of the things that uh have helped the growth of the FabLab network is that we have not only replicated spaces and machines, but we have been also able to transmit the philosophy and the skills needed in a FabLab from people to people, right? Okay. So um, the beauty of this is like a, when we started Fab Academy in 2008, uh, I actually was part of the year zero of the Fab Academy. I took uh, Neil's class, how to make almost anything from here. <laughs> Uh, right. And I was there uh, with uh, with um, with Victor and with Danny and with more people around the world. Uh, we were like uh, at the end we graduated three people, but we started like six, <laughs> and we were the the um, guinea pigs, no? Like yeah. uh, okay, let's see how this works on a remote class and so on. Um, and what I was saying that like <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, the how the it started? Yeah, no, no. But I was trying to explain like uh, how the Fab Academy helps. Uh, to spread the knowledge and the culture of Fab Labs yeah. between people. It's, a, it's okay. really right now the program, the Fab Academy as a program is the place where the network interacts the most. So I would say the Fab Academy is the glue of the network at this moment, mm. to be honest. And because then two I, I, was, I was looking through some forums trying to do a research, you know, yeah. uh, what's the community behind and so on. And uh, 
the comment that I thought is also misleading was that FabLab is there to actually train Fab managers and as a way to expand the network. But yeah, uh, but not necessarily. I mean, that's that's one of the roles of the Fab Academy. But it's also you know uh, Guillaume and Loic. Uh, they did the Fab Academy and they, they started a, a company. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. I don't mm. know, they have, uh, then there's uh, Ohad, uh, he did the Fab Academy and he's working now with 3D systems. No, sorry, no, 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 sorry, with, st <laughs> with the other <laughs> one. <laughs> with the competition. <laughs> sorry, Ohad. So, uh, and, and, you know, other people like Andres and, and Tomas started the Fab, their, their Fab Lab in Chile, okay. but that Fab Lab does a lot of more things. They are doing research, they are doing collab collaborations mm. with the companies and with the government. Um, I mean, this is not just about training a FabLab manager that is going to sit in a lab waiting for people to come and, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. print key reins and key chains and rings of plastic. Yeah. I'm sorry, we are, we, I think we, by, you know, by far, I think we were over that already yeah. and we are yeah. evolving towards other objectives and making FabLabs to create other type of impacts directly or indirectly. Yeah. So... 1,000 plus spaces, the Fab Academy, all these projects that come from the Fab Labs and Fab Academy. Yeah. Uh, leads me to the question, why now? Like, what's in place now that yeah. this is possible that was not possible 20 years ago yeah. or, let's say, later on? That's a super interesting question because I think even, even this, the spread of Fab Labs wouldn't be possible without, uh, in the make, without the maker movement. Yeah. that happened at the same time. So it, get, it, it kind of brought a lot of attention for, I mean, the, 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 what Make Media did, I think has been very helpful for everyone in general, yeah. right? Which they, they outreach to the masses somehow. You can criticize it because you cannot, maybe the content <laughs> has lost quality. Yeah, you can criticize it, but it uh, has been helpful to spread the word. Yeah. But then at the same time that, you know, Make Media was growing and the first issues of Make Magazine, then you started to have Arduino. Yeah. And then yeah. a couple of years after, then you have RepRap, yeah. which also started to spread 3D printing around the world, which is a very easy way to understand digital fabrication. Now, like, a, you know, kind of a... Um, uh, extruded of uh, cream uh, <laughs> controlled by, com uh, uh, by a computer, no? So all those things happen in a, in a five-year time in the, in the beginning of this century, yeah. right? Um, and social media, even social media happen at the same time. So without that, forget about it. This wouldn't be possible. It's not good. I mean, it's too good enough by itself as many other things that are really good, but they haven't take off, no? Or yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, I don't know, growing your own so, food so in your house, whatever. But Maybe there's not one reason, but is there, like, a, the glue that connects all this together if you had to name something? Is it the internet or is it... Of course the internet. I mean, it's <laughs> obvious. I mean, <laughs> the internet is... Uh, this is part of the internet era. Like, yeah. this is the response to kind of a, like a the global collaboration model for an internet era. No? In, a, in this collaboration, I'm talking about learning, developing projects, uh, creating impact, and so on. No? Which is not, uh, I think the difference from, what, what is beautiful about the Fab Labs is that they create a mixed space between digital and physical. Mm. So you are, you know, it's not like a you and your screen, right? Uh, or you and your screen learning, but you learn because you have to be in a place. 
uh, you have to mm. meet other people. You have to, you know, keep, kick them if they are taking your laser cutter time. And you have to steal the cardboard from other <laughs> guy <laughs> and pay him back with something because uh, you want to laser cut that day. So it's, it's, it's far more uh, complex than yeah. just having... Uh, to know a machine or yeah no you know it's not it's not content it's experience in a physical mm. space and it's people it's human beings it's not just uh, avatars of people yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. I think that's also beautiful it's kind of a it makes internet more relevant part of of our podcast and and the project that we do is try to figure out new learning communities and people that approach you know skills and development mm -hmm. of uh, of humans. Um, outside the schooling system. So you kind of answered already, but uh, is there a, a guiding set of principles of how learning happens within Fab Labs? When, I, when I'm asked to explain what is that Fab Academy about, uh, I think the most important, I think that the, the way is better explained is by telling that you learn how to learn yeah. in the Fab Academy. Mm. So even if it's about principles, applications, and implications of digital fabrication, the process of learning that is not based about what Neil shares with students every Wednesday mm. from Boston, but what they learn in the lab, it's about yeah. learning. It's like you have like a very, very, uh, the curve is really steep, and then in, in you have to you know, catch up constantly. Yeah. And there is this feeling about the FAO Academy that uh, I, I have to say after <laughs> probably eight years, that has been more, almost 10 years, I think, uh, it's, it's been around, it's the feeling that when students finish their FAB Academy, then they say, oh, I'm ready to be part of a FAB Academy. Mm. And then... <laughs> and then like it, become an instructor? No, 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 no. They're ready to actually go through the FAB Academy. It means like, mm. a, you know, there's so much content and so much learning and you are doing and you are sitting down and you're getting the... <laughs> You know, the, the lectures from Neil and, and you're sitting with other partners and you're learning how he does the programming of his uh, board. I mean, it happens all at the same time. It's so intense that, uh, mm. you know, you don't realize what you learn. So yeah. that's one feeling that happens <laughs> like at the week after you finish the FAO Academy. I then see. like uh, six months after you finish the FAO Academy, then you realize how much you know. Mm. So you know stuff that you didn't know you know. And that's, that's incredible. It's like yeah. you figure out that okay, you know too much that you know you need to leave some time for your brain to organize the structure for when you have to access to that information you know what you're looking yeah, for yeah, yeah. because a lot of the times you have it and you don't know that you have it and I have to, to say that that's a feeling that I, I've experienced myself but also I have seen with many of the students that have graduated during these yeah. last years of course. So one question that um, came to mind as we went through the Fab Academy and talked to some uh, some of the students. Um, was with projects like this that are di so different from the classical classroom and yeah. also the way that you know companies look at skills and so on. How do you build then the interface between what what students or members learn here versus the society or the world? Like, how can they express what they learn here? To the outside world. That's, to, that's a very good to question. Be understood. That's a very good question, and it's something that you can criticize the Fab Academy for. Um, no, no, no. I'm mean, being like a, doing like a, um, some autocritic. You say yeah. like that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, it's the lack of design, mm. because you know you can have knowledge of the technical knowledge, 
And I have to say that we're very good providing the technical training for people. Of course, a lot of the people come with the, you know, with the values on which they want to learn something because they want to apply it in the world, I have to mm. say, right? But then I think that we are lacking on, on, on the design part because design ends up being the, that interface between what you know and the world and actually it's the tool that you use to transform the world with what you know, yeah, yeah. right? So um, I think that we're, we're finding out, we're now testing out a new, new programs uh, that involve design. Last year, uh, we organized uh, a pilot with Olafur Eliasson, which okay. is an artist and designer. Uh, I think he's Icelandic. Uh, <laughs> we uh, can link the names. Yeah, uh, in Olafur the um, was teaching uh, why to design almost anything. No, if you mm -hmm. can, if you can design almost anything, why? To, I mean, why do you That's want to? If you can make almost anything, why do you want to make it? That's the thing. Sorry, that's that's a real, the way to say it. You know, <laughs> you learn how to make almost anything, but then the question is why, why to make anything if you can make almost anything? That's and what an is, interesting. What question. is the decisions that you take in order to make that thing? No, um, is it different from like the whole design thinking movement that you should build empathy and yeah, connect with people? Well, I think the design thinking is you know is. Yeah, <laughs> you can criticize it. Okay. Uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of a low-hanging fruit in order to solve okay. uh, probably simple problems. Mm. The complex problems, uh, I think they need uh, probably other type of, uh, of, of approach and probably more in-depth uh, understanding of the problems. And, 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 you know, that methodology doesn't apply exactly as it is. Um, anyways, I, uh, what I was saying is like at the... That test that we did with Olafur left somehow like a good experience on saying, you know, we need to uh, have these questions in the mm. network, no? Um, we are now uh, prototyping a, a, kind of a, an a kind of an accelerator yeah. uh, for the FabLab network. Uh, having, I mean, the idea is to have a distributed accelerator around the world. R this year we are uh, doing it with uh, five uh, Projects graduated from the Is Fab it Academy. Like the startup accelerator, or more it's linked no, to the no, it's more linked to the skills and the in the learn to the, to learn learn first of all to understand why you want to do what you want to do. I see. First of all, to frame really well what you are doing and why you want to do it, mm. and also learn how to communicated to the world. Is there any article about this? Anything that this is, is public? This is, no, no, no okay. not at all. Uh, there is uh, a description in the Academy website uh, okay. that you can show, uh, but basically now that we are piloting. Okay. Right? So we have these five... You are uh, one of the locations? We are the location okay. and I am coordinating it from Barcelona, so I do every two weeks a session in which we go through the projects and That's we give exciting. them guys uh, feedback and then at the end yeah. of the year, meaning in June, we are supposed to have uh, projects documented, uh, you know, yeah. you know, it's something that is, yeah. is worth uh, showing. Because we looked a bit through the website of uh, Fab Academy and mm -hmm. there is a button called accreditation and it starts with we don't give any accreditation, yeah. but instead every single student that goes through the program has a portfolio. Yeah. Um, and we also know now that there is an effort with Mozilla Open Badges and... Uh, an effort to try to document and, and show skills that are yeah. um, mastered in informal settings. So yeah. is it something linked to the accelerator that you're doing or it's it's different? No, I was going to mention another 
form of accreditation. No, yeah. so, so it's funny because in one, before that I say that uh, I have to say like uh, we haven't we had set up we have set ourselves in a position in which the self accreditation of a fablab network is super valuable, mm. not only for people, but it's valuable for a company or for another organization. When they say no, this person did the Fab Academy, and they come with a you know with far more advantage than probably yeah, other yeah. applicants in a position uh, in an I don't know an innovation manager at X company kind of thing. No, so it's really interesting. So because it, no, mm. our our accreditation has gained value one hand. Okay. Um, in the other hand, um, many labs have are working on creating or linking the Fab Academy with their own programs. Right. In our case, uh, we have uh, we just launched the Master in Design for Emerging Futures, okay. uh, and the, the Master uh, has the FAO Academy as one of the central pieces. Okay. But the central piece of a Master is a pro it's a project that you develop during the year, right? And the beauty of it is that we give that layer of design to the FAO Academy, and we apply it in the okay. real world. So with that, what we do is that we accredit the Fab Academy within a master, so the students get some credits. That's happening in Finland as well. That's in the Fab Lab Oulu. That's happening also in Camp Linford Fab Lab. They're happening. In, uh, it's happening in other Fab Labs in the world that are connected to universities, and then it's a form of giving the accreditation of the Fab Academy. Okay. Then finally, it's true what you say. You know, when, when we launched the Fab Academy, we believed that people would subscribe uh, or would apply to make the whole diploma, or they could do like a, a weekly certificate. Uh, we haven't succeeded yet in finding the way in which you can have like an unstructured uh, way of completing the FAB Academy using those certificates, uh, but definitely approaches like uh, open badges or, uh, you know, blockchain certification uh, yeah. uh, of, uh, of skills is kind of uh, uh, interesting for us, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we also looked at the curriculum part of uh, FAP Academy. So it's uh, it's a program that is for six months. It happens yeah. once a year and yeah. it's synchronized from all the countries that want to get involved. Exactly. Um, but I also saw that, and I have a question of how the curriculum is formed. So mm -hmm. there there is a one that is kind of the main, the standard, and it's around, uh, let's say, digital technologies and emerging technologies and uh, software and design and so on. Uh, but then there is also, you have one which is how to grow almost anything. Yes. And then the there textile is academy. Uh, the textile academy. Can, can you yeah. share the thinking behind it and yeah, how you develop definitely. the curriculum? Yeah, well, the, the FAB Academy is, um, is a, you know, it's an evolution of the how to make almost anything class at MIT. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and actually, you would be surprised, but the first edition of, uh, of the FAB Academy was actually nine months uh, long. Okay. And then we adjust it and we make it six months. How to make, and the how to make class is three months, actually. Um, okay. So we are in, a, in a six months. It follows more or less the same structure. Of a, of a how to make with a, probably a couple uh, extra um, weeks that of course we have uh, in the in reference to to how to make almost anything, um, but then the, the you know the the model the distributed educational model of FAB Academy was something that we believed that had a lot of potential in order to be applied to other fields of knowledge. That is not only digital fabrication, but it could be applied to music. Uh, it could be applied to uh, you know. 
uh, running, learning to run businesses. Uh, it could be applied to biology and could be applied to fashion industry and yeah. to design, yeah. right? Yeah. So what we did with Olafur, which is actually an adaptation of a format of FAO Academy, but applied into design and arts, I would say. It okay. was a class of Olafur. The uh, Bio Academy, is, or the How to Grow Almost Anything, it's a really interesting uh, experiment because it actually, um, I would, I, we have to say that Fab Academy is still, still too much. I mean, the main professor is Neil, even though okay. he's trying to uh, diversify that. Uh, whether the How to Grow Almost Anything class started from the beginning with a group of professors. Okay. Right? So you have okay. a distributed classrooms, distributed professors in a distributed program, right? So, cool. and of course, we had like uh, the director of that or the person that put all together was uh, um, George uh, Church, uh, who, you know, is one of the fathers of a, the, the recent or the, some of the most uh, disruptive technologies in synthetic biology, you know, um, is being called uh, kind of the Darwin of our times. Uh, so it's a All very right. relevant person in the field of knowledge of biology, leading mm. a class with a global body of knowledge of recognized leaders in, uh, in the world, offering this um, to people wherever they are. So, you, you know, the, the, uh, the How to Grow Almost Anything class has been running also for a couple of years and had like a third, between 30 and 40 people joining the class. And okay. then finally, the Textile Academy, which Anastasia, who is one of our team members, is leading as well together with Cecilia in Amsterdam and with Fiore in Italy, um, is also a distributed uh, program as well. But this okay. is really interesting but it's because it's coming from kind of at the new generations of the network that okay. they're promoting the, their own programs with a global leadership as well in the, in the field of fashion industry and biology applied to, uh, you know, to the things that we wear, to the things that yeah. we put in our body. Yeah. So we expect to have more classes. Uh, it could be music, it could be architecture, it could mm. be other classes that I can see happening in the okay. same format of what, distributed what, education. What drives... Um the, the launch of a new, let's say, well, vertical uh, or... The direction of the uh, uh, Academy of Almost Anything that is called is, is, is done, uh, is done in a very, I would say, open way by Neil. No? Uh, okay. uh, Neil, uh, you know, he gets the feedback from the network, from us. Uh, there's a group of people that is kind of... Um, uh, uh, it's very beautiful. It's, it's like a, this group of, uh, a distributed group of, leader, of leaders... Uh, of Fab Labs that yeah. are also the mentors of the Fab Academy or the mentors in the Bio Academy or the mentors of the Textile Academy that are pushing changes and etc. No? So it's a, it's a good balance between like a kind of a bottom-up and top-down uh, yeah. approach and, and, and in the decision-making of new courses. Yeah. So in a classical environment, the measurement of success, mm -hmm. let's say, in the university would be probably employment yeah. plus that the person doesn't go to jail and it's a good citizen and so on. Um, how do you measure if, you know, a program or a class at Fab Academy hmm. was successful or, or that in individuals that go for this program are successful? I, I, it's difficult to say, <laughs> but I have a very nice indicator that is like, uh, and, and probably I cannot give you numbers, but I'm sure that a lot of the people that finish the Fab Academy, they never go back to their previous jobs. <laughs> So that's a positive. For me, that's a positive. Uh, that, that's a, you know, uh, because they either invent uh, their own job or they either join uh, a more exciting 
uh, program or they never, I don't know, they never come, <laughs> come back. <laughs> I, I don't know, it's <laughs> something like uh, when, yeah, it's, 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 we are not a sect, eh? we are not like a, a religion, but, <laughs> but I, I have to say that once you go through these moments in which uh, you learn to use all these tools and you apply them and you learn how to interact with people, then it's very difficult to go back and enter into yeah. the, yeah. Into the yeah. competition environment of a traditional company, the into the KPIs, into the uh, revenue models, into the income streams, into the kind of a classical but thing. Those are important to Those some are extent. needed, but it's not the only thing. That's, yeah. you know, yeah. we are part of, um, we, we are mono, we are, how you, how you would call it? Um, when you cultivate only one thing, yeah, monoculture. We ha- we we are trapping the monoculture of uh, money. So oh, if you okay. think about how you invest your money, from what you learn, then you go to work, and then you work for someone, and then that's basically everyone is putting their efforts on getting money. Mm. And then that's so. I mean, if you think in in in, in simp- simplistic terms, it's like okay, money gives you access to a lot of things. It's true, you can buy, you know, the amazing equipment, the nice iPad. We can make it with these cameras. So you have to mine that money from somewhere, right? But uh, I don't know. I I I I think like imagine if you are able to produce your own technology and you can uh, recapture materials and turn them into raw materials to make new things, or you can program uh, your shoes using synthetic biology. Yeah then why do you need only money? Then money will be something added, but it's not the, the yeah. main thing that it, we, are, we have to, to look after. And don't mention what it comes from the, uh, the fulfillment of a human being, no? that actually we come from a very mechanical um, way of understanding the human mind and, and, and the yeah. human being. And, and, and I think that that's, you know, that's something that we have been trapped that's something that needs to change definitely. And I know that I have been going too long on this answer, <laughs> but it's worth saying. Like, uh, they are important, but it's not the center. It, yeah. should, be, it yeah. should support, but it, should, it shouldn't be the only objective. And I think that that's why that people find other purposes in life. That it's not only about fitting into what you are told to be doing yeah. Yeah. in order to get the things that come from the only thing that you cultivate, which is money. Beautiful line of thought. I think we'll just cut that piece and share it as a separate <laughs> video. Um, it's a good reflection. Now, um, a lot of people know you also because you became an ambassador for Fab Cities. And uh, for us, this is very interesting because uh, we figured this, there is an idea from 70s which advocated for basically taking apart schools as they are okay. and making cities as spaces for learning. The way you go to a park, you would, you would go to a learning ecosystem and then you would collect experiences. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's linked to also to, to education and learning, but can you explain a bit what the, the FUB cities uh, means in your vision and what are you guys doing in that project? Yeah, yeah, the Fab City is, uh, as I say, it's a combination of uh, understanding how technology can transform deeply our productive model, yeah. how it can challenge industry as we know it. And therefore, when you change that, it will have direct effects into the urban environment. If you look at the way how we organize cities today, it's, it's responding to the industrial paradigm, no? It's yeah. organization of the of the time, you know, uh, work, uh, live, sleep, right? <laughs> so you have the city where you work, 
you have the part of a city where you go to sleep, and you have you go uh, you have the city the part of a city where you go and you have some leisure and etc. So most of the cities that we know today were planned that way. Actually, mm. the big planners of the 20th century actually followed those those principles. But you are experiencing that. I am experiencing that. You see more and more young people. They are not attached to a single office. Um, you, where you live, is your uh, also part of your work as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have a more flexible way of living. No, probably it's not the case with the developing countries mm. and in the you know. Or, or the countries that are jumping into industrialization or digitalization directly yeah. uh, recently. But it's true that digital, uh, digital, uh, the digital revolutions in computation, fabrication, and, and now, and in communication, sorry, are changing or are challenging this model of cities. So we're trying to understand how um, we can anticipate that moment in which cities produce on demand, again, locally, and mm. they create like a circular economy model in which materials flows, um, you know, from your waste streams back to the production streams mm. where you can produce energy uh, at the local level and you can trade with your neighbors using energy markets yeah. where you can grow food with systems like the Aqua Pioneer, so the next food that you can see behind. Um, what is the citizenship that happens in that city? Mm. What we where what are the you know the industries that we want? Where we place the vertical farms? Uh, mm. What what we trade? How, where we move? Uh, how we live? So those are open-ended questions, but it's something that we believe uh, the Fab City puts together. Yeah. Um, in the other hand, this is like a, the the more theoretical, but in the practical terms, if you think about uh, the this network of Fab Labs, the 1,200, 1,300 Fab Labs in the world placed in cities, most, most of them, there are Trojan horses that we have mm. inside the, you know, the actual you know, um, urban paradigm based in industrialization that they can be used to transform somehow from in between that model. Yeah. Starting from education, starting from prototyping, from experimentation. Um, and that's something that we are doing, actually. So what are the results so far? Like, Do you, do you expect that cities make a commitment? Like, we're going to become a fab city? Yeah. Are you tracking their actions? Like, what's happening? Well, we, established, we, established, we established a 40-year goal. So we, this, is, this started when the, mayor, the former mayor of Barcelona uh, publicly uh, committed by, with a speech and pressed a button that started a countdown in 2014 of 40 years. So by 2054, cities should produce everything they consume. That's the goal. Ambitious. And it started as a provocation, let's say. Uh, We didn't know exactly what we would do, but we we were sure that we would develop tools in order to measure the the, the evolution or or develop metrics for cities to understand how they are performing and how they are achieving that goal, Mm. and create tools for cities to share designs and to share knowledge about what they are doing so cities learn from each other. Um, and of course, we will uh, try to enable processes from Fab Labs in order to build that from the neighborhood scale, right? I see. So um, terms, in terms of success, uh, one of the, uh, I would say, relative successes, uh, success that we had in the Fab City is like a, from that provocation made by the single mayor of Barcelona uh, or only by the mayor of Barcelona, then we have now 70 more cities, countries, and regions far, 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 that are part of that. Mm. 
that's a public commitment of politicians in order to work on this, which is not enough if you don't have a Fab Lab community or yeah. a network yeah. of or, or a local consortium that is working on that objective. So we have a, a group of cities. We have a community of people that is working to build this uh, objective. And I'm talking about people in the, you know, Copen and the Danish Design Center in Copenhagen, the Fab Lab Santiago, the Shenzhen Open Innovation Lab, C-Studio yeah. in Shenzhen, uh, people in Australia, people in Mexico. So wow. it's a network itself that is uh, emerging from the Fab Lab network and from the initiative that we started here at YAG, right? Um, so that's, for me, a success. And now we are, uh, we have been able to establish partnerships with the European Union in 2016 for the Fab City Campus, uh, yeah. organized by Parhouse at Zweiger. Uh, um, uh, they were leading the cultural program, and then they decided, together with us, to establish the Fab City Campus and develop a program in which people would experience what mm. uh, urban farming looks like. Uh, that's a specific location? It, it happened, uh, but it was for four months. It was taken okay. apart, and it was um, the, um, uh, a demonstrator of a Fab City, but also was the, uh, the first year of a Fab City Summit. I see. And now, uh, in Barcelona, we took the, uh, this idea of having a kind of a demonstrator of an idea of a limited a space in which you can experience the Fab City to take it more permane permanently. And this is what we call the Fab City prototypes. And now in Barcelona, it's part of a policy the, of the city, the digital plan, um, is the maker district that we are uh, you know, pushing forward with a network of people around the, the, the neighborhood. Cool. And that's the, the neighborhood that we that's are That's here, Pobleno, in Barcelona. And this is, of course, something that is shared with the rest of the Fab Cities. Uh, we are applying for funds now, uh, both in research projects from the European Union, but also with other organizations mm. that they can support us. And now the Fab City this year is, is being yep. established as a legal organization. Cool. I mean, you mentioned some of the, you, you made a perfect bridge to the next question, which is, what is, from your point of view, the absolute dream scenario for the, for the future of uh, Fab community? Uh, well, we want to enable another. Um, this is a, a project that I can not I cannot reveal about. completely. No, <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's like everybody's doing a blockchain project, right? So, is is we're trying to create, um, um, you know, the tools for this ecosystem, for this FabLab ecosystem, to better exchange value. Mm. You know, in designs, in uh, skills, in participation in events, in uh, machine management, yep. in lab certification, in Fab Academy, in so skills, etc. Everything et talks to everything else. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, uh, and that's something that I dream. This my dream scenario is that this network keeps growing uh, and creating impact without the need of uh, personalities to lead it somehow. I see. So I want okay. to make Neil obsolete. I want to make uh, myself obsolete, and I want to make a lot of people obsolete and, then and enable the network um, <laughs> among other things. Yeah, for sure. In Indonesia, why not? Cool. Now um, I know you're busy, and uh, you came to this interview right from the airport. So we'll sum it up in a few questions. Yeah, and then uh, call it uh, the evening. So um, for people listening that are involved in, in education or concerned with uh, Fab Labs and, and, and Fab Cities, what are some of the must-read books or articles or maybe movies, documentaries that they can watch to inform themselves to better understand where we are and, and how can they be part of it? 
I don't know, it's, you know, books find you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, one, there, are, there are a few books that changed me. Uh, you know, when I read the book of Neil, the first one, uh, Fab. Yeah. It's not the first, it's not his first book, but the, his first book about Fab Labs that was pretty, pretty revealing. It's, the f it's called Fab, F-A-B. Yeah. Um, there's a new book from Neil as well, which is called Design, Designing Reality. Uh, which is quite interesting. It comes. It's it's a bit critical, self-critical with the network, uh, although the criticism is being done by his brothers. So it's interesting. It was written with his brothers. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I know. I love a book that is called Who Owns the Future by Jaron Lanier, okay. one of the fathers of virtual reality. There's a book from the 70s, which I think was another key moment of history in humankind. Which is the book from Victor Papanek, uh, Design okay. for the Real World. Uh, read Bruce Mao, Massive Change. Yep. Um, Beautiful resources. That's what I wanted. There, like there specific things that we can link to and share, and people. Yeah, can. you know the Side Guys documentaries, of course, and uh, mm. they're super interesting. Uh, and I don't know. Um, yeah. Now let's play an empathy exercise where we have three groups of people, and you try to be part of each of them and, and answer how you would figure things out. So you are a teacher in a typical school. You know, you have your classroom and probably you're frustrated with the status quo. You, you know, are connected on different platforms and you want to do things. Yep. How, how do you innovate within given constraints that you have to engage with students and do something more than what's required? Well, I don't know. I, I actually was a teacher in the, at the green school in Bali in a, in, okay. a, in, a, in a program, in a short program. No? And uh, I found it was challenging because uh, I was teaching teenagers. But I wasn't teaching really. I was trying to learn with them. Mm. And, uh, and I think one of the things that helped is how the program was set, which, is, was, which was, uh, it was a project-based program. So you were developing a project with your group of students and this was applied to a, a specific need of the community. Mm -hmm. So I think that I will look for some needs that I can identify in the corner, in the bar of the corner, in my neighbor, in, the, in one of the fa kids' family or, or one of the teachers, whatever. Try to identify how we can help as a group to solve someone prob someone's or something yeah. problem, even if it's tiny. I think that one of the things that we need to learn more and more is the, you know, enabling the process of learning while you are creating impact. Mm -hmm. And that's something more rewarding than any grades. It's more rewarding than anything else. So what I would do probably is try to look for, for problems to solve and try to work with my students in order to do it. Cool. Now you are a student, yeah. maybe a teenager. You're bored. You don't really like, uh, you know, the the, the school or the subjects. Yes. Um, but you're curious. You have potential, and you understand it. Um, how do you keep learning and developing in that context? I mean, um, yes, I was bored. I, I was that kid actually. <laughs> uh, I was really bored in, in high school, and I regret a little bit of of being less disciplined, but also. I, I regret also not being that good in math, let's say, no? Mm. Uh, but I found ways on to self-teach me stuff. 
Um, and that was the beginning of the widespread of the internet. I'm not that old. So <laughs> it was kind of a popular already, so you could find stuff online. There was a web browser. I'm not that old. Uh, and then, um, you know, for instance, I started to compose music using uh, a program called Reason, and there were yep. tutorials online. And I was trying to crack the software, so you learn how to crack something, and then the computer <laughs> wasn't working. Then you learn how to fix the computer. So put yourself in a project and to do something that passion gives you some kind of passion it leads you to learn stuff. Mm. Even if you don't realize. It happens similar to the Fab Academy. Then, uh, yeah. you know, I realized years after that I know a lot about using uh, this kind of computing, uh, music comp uh, composing software. Yeah. So I, I, was just, I was playing because <laughs> I was bored. I had a lot of free time, not only in, in the high school, but also in the university. I was bored because mm -hmm. I could manage to do the stuff that was required very quick. And then, you know, I play sports, I, I, you know, but find, developing skills through um, something that is giving you some kind of reward, like in my case was music, uh, okay. it's something that is it's, it's really cool. It's really cool. Like I have many projects, side projects, uh, and, and of course it's difficult for me to say what I would do, I'm saying what I did. Yeah, uh, yeah. Be, I'm reflecting because that was how, I how it happened. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> Finding projects and something you're passionate about and, and playing with them. And, and, and I know it sounds easy, and of course, yeah. but for instance, uh, in Venezuela, the, um, there was no easy to find some parts of a computer, so I had mm. to enter into a, like a uh, kind of an eBay, a Venezuelan version of an eBay. <laughs> I had to arrange with someone to go and buy a piece of memory for my computer because my software wasn't running. Yeah, yeah, with, yeah. The, with with the, cool. the, the learning. Well, what that, year was that? That was uh, that was late to late nineties, mm. late nineties, <laughs> early two thousands. Fun. Yeah. Now I know that you. Uh, you just came from Vienna. Probably you met uh, some high-profile people that um, have influence and try to make the world better. Uh, and you also work with authorities here. So the question is, imagine you become the minister of... Because it's the interest of our podcast. So we imagine you become the minister of education. Yeah. What are the first three actions or laws that you Perfect. promote? The first thing is that I will change the name and I will be the minister of learning. Right. Cool. So like <laughs> you know, this idea of educating people is very like uh, we're gonna tell you what is right, what is wrong. Uh, so I became of a minister, the minister of learning, which means I'm learning also to be the minister. Right. So <laughs> That's nice. So you basically allow yourself to be vulnerable and open, saying, "Hey, we figure." Things That's out. the first thing. That's yeah. the first thing you have to learn actually in the learning process. No. Uh, when, you, when you're frustrated because yeah. something doesn't work and so on. No. So that's for sure the first thing. Then. Um, I would say that uh, I will change the whole programs at all levels, uh, and I will focus them, all of them, uh, with a specific requirement to be connected to uh, this um, problem solving of local needs of whatever that those schools are located. Yeah. And they don't have to deliver, they're not gonna be evaluated in terms of grades at the end of the year, but they're gonna be evaluated on what they changed, on mm -hmm. how many people they affected. That's for sure. That's the second thing I will do. So yeah. for eliminate the grading system and put directly the learning by doing while changing someone else's life or impacting the world. That's powerful. And then uh, the third thing I would do is actually I will try to provide the teachers and the, and the trainers uh, 
with a lot of learning uh, programs uh, yeah. for them, uh, uh, for them to update, update somehow. So they are not scared about the new technologies and they are not scared of losing the power they have in yeah. the classroom because this is the first reaction that teachers have. It's like uh, when something new comes, they lose power. Yeah. And then they want, they're, they're taught to keep the power in the classroom. So uh, I will try to empower them uh, with, new, with new skills. And uh, for the Teach next the question, yeah. I actually need something that is on the table. Can you bring it? Okay. It's a dictatorship uh, question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really used to the, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm used to dictatorships like the one we have now in Venezuela, for instance. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, you can put that, please. Okay. <laughs> it is a, it's a real dictatorship, unfortunately. Mm. Here's a question. Um, it, it has double names. One is a like benevolent dictatorship uh, question, yeah. and another is called a t-shirt question. And uh, the reason is that, uh, imagine this situation. For one minute, you have the absolute power to get all the advertising space in the world. Yeah. Like bus stops and web banners and everything. And you can display a message to the world. Like for one minute, everyone sees the same thing and it's your message to the world. What does it say? Man, you know... The, <laughs> <laughs> All right. You sent me the questions and I, when I saw that, I, I had it and I lost it now. Um, you can improvise. And actually, I will give you some more time and to explain a bit. It's okay. called also the T-shirt message. Okay. That we actually print what you will say on a T-shirt, and we have a web store for people who want to support the podcast. Just to, to remove the pressure, <laughs> let's say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever you say ends up on a T-shirt. Uh, yeah, that's like a kind of a lame things to say, you know, the, the typical thing, but. Um, um, I would say like I learn to unlearn and learn again. It's beautiful. Feeds on a t-shirt. <laughs> and <laughs> the reason why I asked for this is um, this is our first episode on the world tour. And this is a t-shirt designed by artists in, in Paris okay. based on the episode number uh, five. Uh, which is just the Jenga game, and with the with uh, with the message that uh, everything is possible. Um, I hope it's your size. It's it's kind of uh, American size. So. Cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, I so think it is. Everything is possible. Um, yeah, this and and cool. now the last. Uh, so thank you for your time. This is a small uh, sign of gratitude for for this space and for. Thank the you time. for spreading the word of of. Yeah people that is doing stuff i mean it's yeah. super important yeah i mean it's it's really bothering us that there are so many spaces and communities where you can learn and develop and still as a society we we look at you know where did you graduate from and so on yeah. so for us is really something important and we're passionate about now the the last question um it's it's not a question it's kind of an open microphone okay um so if you can look in the camera or for yeah. people who are listening to the podcast that's a message from uh, Thomas Diaz directly to you uh, related to what he cares about oh wow uh, this is a uh, yeah I mean you killed me with the last ones <laughs> it's a big responsibility but uh, I think that you know you have put some hidden messages and during the whole interview about um, 
how I see the world and the only way you see the world is through your experiences, no? So try to be aware that you somehow have some power on designing those experiences for yourself because at the end of the day, those shape you, but you can shape them as well. So don't forget that. Uh, don't forget that you can design your reality. Uh, even when it looks very shitty, uh, you have uh, the ultimate power on changing the way you, you process it and you reflect on it. And then the moment you understand it, you have the power to change it as well. So uh, try to not be victim of yourself and anyone else. That's it. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> finally, where can people find more about you, your work, maybe get in touch after this episode and ask a question and so on? Yeah, I'm quite accessible online. I mean, um, um, Twitter, social media, um, also the websites of uh, the Fab Lab and Fab yeah. City. Uh, I think that, you know, it, all the social networks uh, that, that are part of our projects, the projects I mentioned, uh, have links to emails uh, that yeah. actually I see directly yeah. as well. So we'll add also we'll all there. the all the links uh, in the show notes so people can get in touch with yeah. you. So thank you so much. It's thank been, you so uh, much to you guys. It's been fun uh, and uh, quite uh, insightful. So thank you for. I this. hope it helps. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye bye. Hey there. A quick note before you head to your next adventure today. First of all, thank you for your time and support. It allows us to share stories like this with the world and do something that we truly love. Second, this episode is part of a larger project where we travel for 12 months in 40 plus countries to look for and tell stories of amazing educators, entrepreneurs and innovators who shape the future of education. If you are interested in this project or you want to find more, please head to experimentq.org or patreon.com forward slash experimentq and find more details and behind the scenes stories. Again, thank you so much for your support and time and we're looking forward to see you in our next episodes. All the best.